welcome to the Killers Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mikhail, and then this is your host, Peyton. I wasn't going to say my last name because you didn't say your last yeah, name. I, I don't so. want to give these people too much information. Um, today, we're going to be talking about, um, well, first off, we are a true crime podcast, and we're going to be covering the yogurt shop murders today. Of 1991. Yeah, 1991. How many years ago was that? I can't do math. I'd say 30. I'm going to guess, yeah. 30 years ago. 30 years ago? That's a long time. That's like a whole adult. That's like a whole millennial. That's, yeah, that's a millennial. (laughs) That person's seen some things. (sighs) Go ahead, start us out. I'm just remembering how I, like... Do you remember in public speaking, if you had to take that class in high school? Yeah. I did ass. I had to give a speech and I cried. I never took that class. My teacher, like, my teacher gave me, I think, like, a low C because I was having an anxiety attack and crying. So they didn't even, like, give you a pity grade. No, she she gave me a low C. Yeah. Wow. And this is like what's this like I have anxiety in my chest and this is what this is reminding me of. Okay, but anyways, well, whatever. All alone. Anyway, yeah, it's I just have to imagine that I'm just talking to you. Yeah. And so okay. Before we get into all the gruesome details of this case, I want to start this off with a trigger warning that there is child death and sexual assault and possible rape in the case. Um, if that's not something that you're comfortable with, you might just need to sit this first episode out. Maybe I shouldn't have picked such an intense case. To start out. But technically, it's true crime. They're all intense cases. Um, Before stating the actual crime itself, I'd like to to talk about the girls that lost their lives in this case and talk about them as people. I think it's pretty easy to, when you talk about true crime or listen to true crime all the time, to get uh, desensitized to stuff like this. Um, And there are some shitty people out there, man. There are some really horrible people. So, seven billion people in this world. There's gonna be a couple bad apples. <laughs> a couple, more like yeah. a few thousand. Um, so the first case we're gonna cover is the yogurt shop murders of 1991. There are four victims in this case, and I'm gonna try and do my best to shed some light and background information on these four beautiful young girls that were taken from this world. Oh fuck! What if I pronounce their names wrong? Well, just you might pronounce names wrong. Names wrong, by the way. Okay, I'm gonna have you pronounce them. Yeah, I'll try. Okay, so the first one we have is Amy Ayers. Ayers? I hope I'm saying that right. Ayers. Um, she was the youngest involved in this case. Amy was 13 years old at the time of her death. Amy was raised on ranches as a child, and she was a big animal lover and loved cats and horses. She collected like little glass cat figurines, like her parents. Uh-huh. Like I, one of the sources that I watched was a YouTube video of the interviews, and like she just had them like on this little drawer and stuff. Oh. And that makes me sad because yeah. I have two cats, and I like I don't know. Um, for Amy's birthday one year, her parents actually got her a horse that she rode into events with. Amy eventually joined FFA and started to raise pigs, and this is also where she ended up meeting Jennifer and Sarah, who were also in FFA, and sadly, some of the other girls that were affected. Dang. Um, the next youngest is Sarah Harbertson? Harbison? I think so. I don't know. It's spelled H-A-R-B-I-S-O-N. Um, she was 15 years old at the time of her death. She was a ba- big basketball player, and her jersey number was 52. 
Um, her parents noted that she wasn't the girl that scored the most on the team, but the girl that fouled out every game. I don't know what that means. Um, I think that's a good thing. I was just on the basketball team when I was younger because my mom was the coach. And I, I don't know. Like, isn't that a good thing if you foul out? I'm pretty sure when you get fouls, like if someone fouls you. Like, I think it's bad points. for the other team, but I yeah. think it's good for your team because yeah. you're like... Day. I've been watching a lot of basketball lately. I should know this. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not into sports. Um, so she was also a cheerleader for the boys team. So she would like constantly be like running back and forth. So she'd like go play her own games and oh, then like wow. go to like the boys oh, games and like change in the dressing room like in her cheerleading outfit and then go cheer. Wow. And like, okay, like two like memorize basketball routines and then also like memorize like while you're routines. playing the game be like okay i'm gonna have to do this and like memorize cheer routines like yeah insane like she was a badass yeah hard worker um sarah was also an ffa and she would help show goats um with her sister jennifer and then the next is jennifer she was also sarah's sister so they have the same last name i don't want to butcher it again um, she was 17 at the time of her death. She was the older sister of Sarah, like I just said. Um, Jennifer was also the athletic type, but instead of basketball, she was a track star. Um, she was also an FFA, and she helped raise goats. Jennifer was one of the employees of the store, I Can't Believe It's Yogurt. Um, the final victim is Eliza Thomas. At the time of her death, Eliza was 17 years old. Eliza liked collecting lipstick and cared very much about her physical appearance. Eliza's dream was to cook become a model and her plan was to sell her livestock i forgot what animal she raised um but she was going to use the profits of that to help get her foot into the modeling world which okay i'm gonna pull out my wife's ipad here and the fact that they were all at ffa i was at ffa in middle school and high school and that's a very close-knit like group well, I didn't... Organization. I don't think that Eliza was in FFA. I just think that she... I mean, she might have been. Yeah. But I know she had animals, and that's what she was going to use to sell. But, like, majority of the girls, like... Yeah. Were in FFA. They're very close, I'm sure. Okay. So, like, I'm showing Mikhail pictures here. So, this is Amy. That's Jennifer. That's Sarah. And that's Eliza. Oh, wow. She could have been a model. Yeah. Like, dead ass. Yeah, definitely. Um... Eliza was also very into country music and dancing. She was also an employee of the store. So Eliza and Jennifer were employees of the yogurt store at the time. And then Amy and Sarah were like, I'm not going to say like bystanders, but they weren't like directly linked to the store themselves. Okay. So it's kind of like, I don't want to say like invisible victims. I'm trying to think of like the word that I'm saying. Circumstantial. Yeah. They were like circumstantial. Like if they hadn't been there that night. It wouldn't have happened. It, it wouldn't have happened often. again. I'm like really cold. I'm gonna get a blanket. Oh, you're good. It's that freaking coffee that I'm like freaking. <laughs> okay. Um. Now let's get into the case. Oh my god, I'm blanking. I just have to read. Um. Okay. So this case takes place on December sixth of nineteen ninety one. Because of how many times the store's name is going to be mentioned, I'm just. I had an acronym that I was gonna say. And it's ICBY, uh -huh. but I feel like when I'm reading, that's going to get confusing. So I think even though I wrote that down, I think I'm just going to call it the store uh -huh. okay. or yogurt shop. Um, but the abbreviation came from 
Beverly Lowery's book, Who Killed These Girls, which is also one of the sources where I got a lot of our information. It's a really good book. I haven't bought it. I don't have like an electronic reader, so I don't know. I'll probably buy the paperback version. But Jennifer was hired at the yogurt shop in July after her friend Eliza Thomas, who had been working there for six months, told her what a great job it was. Now, you guys have to remember, this took place 30 years ago, so I'm going to say what they made an hour, and you guys are going to be like, oh, that's not a lot. <laughs> that's not a lot of money at all. Um, Eliza had taken the $4.35 an hour job at the yogurt shop in January to supplement another job. Told you, all these girls are badasses. Um, Eliza's second job was escorting a nine-year-old to gym lessons twice a week. Oh, wow. Man. I miss the 90s. <laughs> you weren't alive in the 90s. Well, I, I was born I in 2000. Been. I wish I could have been because that was a job. Escorting a boy to gym class. True. Totally Everything was different. Yeah. Um. So the yogurt shop was pleasant and nicely furnished. The customers were friendly. So basically it was a yogurt shop. Yeah. Like there really wasn't any cooking involved. No waitressing. Um, their manager, Bryce had a lot of rules for the duration of the shift you were basically pretty much on your own so like um if you guys can just like imagine a subway you know how there's like mainly only one subway worker at yeah, a time one or two. like same principle basically but like for a yogurt shop yeah 30 years ago um <clears throat> it was located on anderson lane the yogurt shop was a neighborhood gathering place where families and young couples went after shopping or a movie and sometimes the governor at the time anna richard stopped in both girls worked mostly weekend nights, although Eliza did take an occasional week night shift. Yogurt shop regulations required the employees to wear Bryce's official open-neck knit polo shirt, white, with pink and green trim and the company's logo tucked into dark jeans and white or black athletic shoes. Nice. Where was this, by the way? This was in Austin, Austin. Texas. Okay. So this, yeah, this was in Texas. Um, Too far. Sarah... Sarah, Jennifer's sister, and her friend Amy stopped by the yogurt shop to help the girls close up for the night. Um, I couldn't really find any information as to why. I'm pretty sure Amy and Sarah were hanging out at the mall, and I'm pretty sure they were just like, hey, let's go help our friend slash sister. Mm -hmm. So again, like I said before, completely coincidental victims. I don't think that they had talked to Jennifer and Eliza. Maybe they were. They were all kind of friends. Maybe they were like, hey, we can help you. Because I had people at my first couple of jobs come and help me close because it was too much right. at the time. But again, I don't know. Or they could have just been like, hey, come sit inside while we're closing and just yeah. talk to us. You know, there. again, it was the 90s. Yeah. I don't know how things worked. Right. Very early 90s. Downs Whatever. Out. I don't even, I don't think their manager mind. Like, it, it just was what was. Right. So, during the operation hours, Eliza stood behind the cash register while Jennifer manned the topping displays. And they had the basic crap, like chocolate, hot fudge, caramel, strawberry, stuff like that. Um, aerosol cans of whipped cream. And there were five large dispenser cans on the shelf behind her, each filled with a particular flavor of yogurt. Um, the chocolate and vanilla cans sat side by side. And then they had, like, a favorite selection at their yogurt store, which was just a swirl. So okay. it was just, like, chocolate and vanilla swirl, okay. which was, like, a favorite, I guess. Um, before close, Eliza would have to take the office keys from the cash register's ledge and walk to the end of the counter through an open door on her left into the storage area. Past the two bathrooms, the mop and sink, and the walk-in cooler, 
She swung into the right and unlocked the office door. Inside, she laid her jacket, car keys, purse, and maroon white Texas Aggie backpack on a filing cabinet and then locked the door behind her. Following Bryce's rules, she put the keys back on the cash register where they'll be found hours from now, long after the flames have been doused and the four bodies have been discovered. Whoa. So basically, I don't know if you ever had to do this, but I would have to do this when I worked at the coffee shop. I would have to deposit the money into the safe yeah. in the office, and I would have to throw the keys under the door. Which is basically the same thing, because... What do you mean? Like, have you never had to do that? Uh-uh. Um, I worked at a coffee shop in a small town, and my boss was the only one that would have the key to the office. Like, mm-hmm. I would have one. Right. But at the end of the night, so nobody would steal the money, I would have to go into the office. Put it up? Put the money up in the safe lock the safe, go out of the office, lock, lock the office door, and throw the key under the door. Oh. And then my boss would come in the next morning, and she would unlock the office door, grab the keys, okay. put them back in the register. Okay. So, like, it was basically the same thing. Bryce was having Eliza do the same yeah. thing. Um. So, once the girl finishing her shift had left, Eliza would run the store alone until Jennifer arrived at around 8 p.m., then they would share responsibility. Ten minutes before the 11 o'clock closing time, they would lock the front door from the inside, turn the open sign to closed, and leave the key in the lock, even if the last-minute customers were still in the shop. Which, again, is a pretty common practice. Like, some businesses, like, don't want you... Oh, right, right, like, right when you guys close at 8, like, you have to kick everyone out. Right. Like, they don't do that. They let no. the customers stay as long as they want. We would do that at Kane's. People would be sitting there for 30 minutes past close. Yeah, and you just kind of yeah, have, have to... Yeah, you just have to Yeah, you just have to deal with it. Yeah. Like, it just is what it is. Um, they would deposit tonight's proceeds, like I said, in the floor safe and clean up according to Bryce's precise schedule. When they were finished, they would remove the key and lock the door again from the outside. Then put the key in the envelope and slide it under the door. So basically what I was saying, you know. And then the manager would retrieve it in the morning. Because Eliza arrived first, she would run the cash register while Jennifer took orders. The tape machine, which had like an old-fashioned paper roll, would record every transaction that Eliza or Register 13 rang up, including the last one of the night, a no-sale at 11.03 p.m., some 13 minutes after the front door was locked and three minutes after the shop was officially closed. That's getting eerie now. So, to skip ahead, we don't really know much as of right now about what was happening while the girls were closing. But the first report of a building fire was made at 11.48 p.m. by Troy... Troy? I think I butchered his last name. I think that was a typo. He was an APD rookie cop on DUI patrol. When firefighters got there to the yogurt shop, they attempted to pull the door open, but it didn't budge Fire because it was locked. Mm-hmm. The girls had locked the door. The firefighters had to grab a crowbar and began to pry the door open. They dropped their hands and knees to get below the smoke that began pouring out of the yogurt shop and started to crawl inside. After going inside the back room, the body of 13-year-old Amy was found. Amy's body was the least burned out of all the girls and was shot twice instead of once. Further inside, the, body, the bodies of the other girls would be found stacked on top of each other, most of them bound and gagged with no clothes on at all. Jennifer operated on a tight schedule, so one thing that the firefighters noticed when they got there, or maybe the ME, the medical examiner, she wore, like, a wristwatch, mm-hmm. and she died wearing the watch, and it died at 11.48 
a.m., which is what firefighters are going to say was the peak Mm -hmm. of the fire. So that's when it got so hot that... It just stopped working. Yeah, it just stopped working, which is kind of really depressing. Um, Sarah would lay less than three feet away from her sister on her back, gagged, wristbound behind her, blackened legs, and an ice cream scoop on the concrete floor between her thighs, its handle pointed toward her pubic bone. Um, Eliza was found lying spread eagle on top of Sarah, placed there by the killers, the skin of her athletic young legs split apart by the radiant heat of the sweeping flames, bound, gagged, and like Jennifer, burned bald and faceless. Oh my god. So, basically three out of the four girls were burned so badly that it was hard to identify a cause of death. They knew that they were all shot, but that's about it. Um, so, what they noticed, and I don't think that I really get into this much in the research, but I forget where, I think on the shelf in the back room, the girls' um, personal belongings were found, like they were made to strip mm-hmm. with the attackers, and um, Sarah which is Jennifer's sister. She was... I have this all written down so I can go back and forth to it. So Sarah was 15 years old and she had her uh, boyfriend Mike's McCatherine's ring on. Mm-hmm. so like his senior ring. Yeah. Um, so she placed it between the items of her own clothing along with her wallet and her Mickey Mouse watch. Um, Sarah died wearing her own class ring and gold cross around her neck which both will be melted. Um, From the witness stand at trial, her boyfriend will identify his ring, gold, green, with a green stone with a tractor on one side and his initials on the other. So, like, that's skipping way forward, but I feel like that's just a really depressing detail, is, like, imagine your girlfriend, which, you know, being in high school or being out of high school, this is still a really depressing and traumatizing thing that you would have to go through, but imagine being on trial and then bringing up your class ring that you give to your girlfriend. Right. And having to identify that. And the fact that she took off the his ring and her watch but kept on her cross and her own ring. Sad. Yeah. Like, she, well, she probably didn't want to destroy it. Like, yeah. again, I don't know, Sarah. I wasn't born alive in that time. Like, I'm not going to try and make any assumptions about this girl. But, like, that's what I would do. She, she knew. That's sad. They, yeah, they probably yeah. knew that they were going to die. Yeah. Um, so, in his official report, written on December 7th, Stahl, which was a firefighter on the case, would estimate the fire had been set somewhere high along the south wall of the storage room. Um, by the end of the steel shelves at approximately 11.42. So, this is 39 minutes after Eliza rang up the no-sale. So this attack basically would have had to have happened almost instantly after they had closed. Yeah. I bet... Oh. Not to speculate here, but I'm going to go ahead and speculate (laughs) right now. I feel like the attacker was a customer that decided to stay after the fact that they had closed. Okay, interesting, interesting. Because we're going to get into some customers that were left in the store after they closed. I bet it was a... Oh, keep, okay, keep going. 
Okay, now for the viewers that have a hard time mentally seeing something, which I'm one of those people, um, I'm going to pull you up a picture, actually, of how the bodies were found. Okay. To kind of, like... I'm a visual learner. Yeah. Um, My internet in my apartment sucks, so we're going to go down here. So this is kind of, like, how the store was set up. I'm going to read it for the viewers in a second. But this is how the bodies were found. So it was Sarah and then Eliza on top. Jennifer was found a few feet away, and then Amy was found a good distance away from the other girls, which is why the firefighters found her first. Mm -hmm. And then when they went further into the back room, they found the other three. And see, this is what I was talking about. This is the office door that was locked with the floor safe in it. Yeah. So. Interesting. And there's a back door into the store that was almost directly from where they were found. It's a pretty big store. Is that your phone or my phone? I think that's my wife's phone. Never mind. Just ignore that sound, guys. Okay. So, um, whenever you first enter the store, there's a group of tables. Again, kind of just think of your average yogurt, ice cream shop. There's booths to the left side, booths to the right side. Um, the last booth on the wall on the left side is by the cash register and the counter by the topping station. It's basically your typical fast food setup. Like, that's basically it. I just typed a lot about what the store looked like. But it's... Yeah. You know, it's like booze. You, you go up to the counter. Yeah. Topping station. Kind of like a half wall. Open door. Yeah. You go into the door. There's the back room. All the shelves. Walk-in cooler. Sinks. Bathroom. And then on the right side, kind of in the right-hand back corner of the store, is the office that was locked with the safe inside. Um, so, like I just told Mikhail, they found Amy's body very quickly. She was not in the back room with the other girls. She was, like, at the very beginning of the back room. Amy um, was the youngest, right? She was the youngest, and she was the one that was the least burned yeah. slash damaged. That's interesting. Than the others, but... Again, she was also the one that was found shot twice instead of once. Yeah. Which is interesting. And we're going to get into that in a second again. Were there any surrounding businesses? Did they not hear the shots or were they closed by that time? I think that they were closed by that time. I can't remember and I am a horrible person and didn't include that. But I think that the yogurt shop stayed open the latest because it was like a family gathering place. Right. Like people went at there after they got out of the movies so, yogurt shop too, yeah. yeah, so I think that, like, they were the ones probably open the latest. But um, some seem to think that the killers had stacked all four girls on top of each other. So this is kind of where we're going to get into the theory of um, why Amy was shot twice and why she was found so far away from the other girls. Um, so it's speculated that the killers had stacked all, girl, all four girls on top of each other so that they would be burned together when the store was lit ablaze. Amy, like the other three girls, was shot execution style in the head, but it was found that the bullet had missed part of her brain. Oh. So some people seem to think that Amy was able to crawl away to another part of the store, and that would make sense as to why Jennifer, or, yeah, Jennifer's Jennifer. body was found, because if Amy was stacked under Jennifer, and she was able to crawl off of Sarah and yeah, Eliza, Jennifer's body would fall. Oh, okay. That makes um, sense. So they think that Amy was able to crawl away 
to the other part of the store before the killers found Amy crawling away and shot her again. Mm -hmm. Um, The final shot would cause heavy brain damage and ultimately killed Amy, leaving her body away from the others. And if she was alive for a short period of time and tried to call away from help, again, this could explain what we just talked about, how Jennifer's body was found a little bit of ways from the others. Um, The Emmy reports of a BTU output on and around the bodies, which is basically like an accelerant was used. Oh, okay. Like fuel or something? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, the Emmy collected DNA evidence despite the, the extreme burn injuries to the bodies of the girls that seemed to have shown that some girls might have been sexually assaulted. Um, I'm going to say this now just so you don't speculate and we get sued later on. Um, they tested this DNA against some of the suspects that they had at the time. None of the DNA matched. And this case is still unsolved. Mm-hmm. So... Basically, the DNA hasn't matched to anybody. They don't know. That's weird. Um, so, during the investigation... Don't read ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> during the investigation, the police had a very large number of suspects. So, guess how many suspects they had? You said unusually large? Unusually large. Like 10, 20? No. Higher. Higher? Higher. Like, 50. The police at one point had 342 suspects for the murders of Jennifer, Sarah, Eliza, and Amy. Why? 342. That's, like, the whole high school. (laughs) That's a lot. Did they really investigate each person, like, thoroughly? Again, I don't know. I mean, sometimes, you know... You're like, hey, this person was here around the store at this time. So, you know, again, I don't think all 342 suspects in the case had, like, a firm... Right. Like, firm probable cause, you know. That's crazy, though. Okay, so police had a witness from the night of the murders, December 6th, and her name was Louisa Jones? That's... I think that's, like... I think a Latin it's, name. Yeah. So I'm it. sorry if I'm butchering it and she's like somehow finds this podcast. I did not mean to. Okay. It's I'm not that educated Lucella in pronunciation. Um, so she came into the yogurt shop when the girls were working and she noticed something oh. strange. When the door closed behind her, Jones came to an abrupt halt. Only two other customers were in the shop, teenage boys who had taken the the nearest table to the door and were focusing intently on something between them so they had like a small sack of some kind mm-hmm. one sat with his back to her leaning on his elbow slumped over the table while the other stood behind her facing her something about them unnerved joan she couldn't exactly say what only that she felt immediately fearful they were she testified probably between 14 and 17 and they had kind of a hippie look the one facing her was between 5'4 and 5'7, had medium dark hair, weighed something along 130 to 140 pounds, and she wouldn't call his hair messy, but it certainly wasn't clean cut. The other boy never turned around, and she couldn't describe him at all. As for... As... How do you say that word? Ethnicity? Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, okay. They were probably Hispanic, but may have been... Anglo. Anglo? Yeah, dark-skinned, in other words, in a white neighborhood. 
let's not get started on the fact that, um, what's the word? For what? What's the word? It's like, um, oh, racial profiling. Oh, yeah. I, again, 30 years ago. People were super racist. Like, and yeah. it's Texas. You know, and it was in a white neighborhood. And it's, it's Texas. South. It's a white neighborhood. In the nineties. It's at night. And I'm I'm not um again. I'm Texas just gonna put I'm just gonna put that way. out there. Racial profiling is a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say it. It's, okay. I mean we know. Just gonna say it. Yeah. We're both white. Okay? I'm gonna preface that now. Yeah. You can probably tell by our voices. Um so when they were standing the boy stuck his hand down in the sack and stirred something around. Um, Joan said it kind of made like a clicking sound. Like maybe marbles, maybe coins, maybe keys. But she never saw what was in the back. Interesting. Okay. Now, okay. I mean, honestly, if I would have walked in on that, even if it being now, I'm obsessed with true crime. This mm-hmm. is why we started this podcast. Um, I would think drug deal. Right, or maybe... Or, or maybe they're just poor, you know, they yeah. just, they're paying with stuff with a sack of coins. maybe they're on drugs. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? I immediately, she said the way they looked all fidgety, and I was like, maybe they're on drugs. Who knows? Also, why did it strike her the way it did? She said she literally halted. That's a little weird. I don't know, man. I don't get social cues that often, so I, I think like, it would take a lot for me to, like, oh. Maybe she's just one of those women that can't mind her business. What? Don't say that. No, no, no. I'm saying like maybe she's just like always. Sorry, Mrs. Jones, Miss Jones. I'm not, I'm not trying to offend you. Again, I don't know. And also, again, yeah, I don't have the source for this, so don't come at me. But with PTSD, because, and even memory itself, when something happens to you, yeah. police, therapist psychiatrists they're always like hey you need to write down like exactly what happened that's why um statements exist that's why yeah. whenever you get angry by police they're like hey we need you to write a statement because you have to write it down while it's fresh in your mind yeah and so i'm just saying maybe she could have remembered something wrong or yeah. maybe she remembered everything correctly and we're just very true it's very being interesting kind of that they were clinking metal marble sound what could it be it could have been anything it, yeah it literally could have been anything it could have just been, like, screws or something. So, th- this strikes me as, like, a British name, and it probably isn't. Oh Everybody's God. probably going to laugh at me. Whippets. What the fuck are you talking about? You don't what know are what whippets? whippets? Okay, so, like a like a whipped cream can, right? If you tilt it, um, the CO2 in it, you can get high off of that. That's what okay. people do. What does that have to do with their, their little, little bag? Because they're little metal canisters, and they were very prominent in the 90s. And, oh yeah, whippets are still very prominent, but that's okay. a big thing. And hippie look, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, Daryl Croft, a former police officer, stopped at the yogurt shop during the night of December 6th and noticed a strange man in a faded military-style jacket that seemed to be letting other customers go before him. Which, okay, you know what? It isn't a big deal yeah, because I do that all the time. Decision. I have, like, anxiety. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Right. The illusion of choice is a thing. Yeah. Okay, what if this man just didn't know what kind of yogurt he wanted? Yeah, and he was just okay. like, maybe I don't even want yogurt. But this is when it gets weird. Whenever the strange man finally ordered, he only got a soda. My computer auto-corrected it to shop, and I know that that's what you're looking at right now. <laughs> he only but only got a soda. 
After the man ordered, he stepped in the back behind the counter, and when Croft asked Eliza where the man went, she replied that she let the man use the bathroom in the back of the store. Croft waited a couple of minutes for the man to reappear, but he never did. Um. This man was never found. Daryl Croft was brought in during the trial. Okay, wait. Somebody, I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, it was Daryl Croft. Somebody was brought in to try and identify that man? No. They couldn't identify him. This man, like, disappeared disappeared. into thin air. What? But, okay, again, I know we're saying this a lot. This was, like, 1990, 91. Um, I wouldn't do that. Stranger Danger was a thing. Pretty sure Stranger Danger was a thing in the 1990s. That's the thing, is that I think that it was an employee bathroom because he had to go back behind the counter where Eliza and Jennifer were. And it was in the back, if you go back. And it was in the back. And Croft waited a couple of minutes, and the man never came back out. So either he left through the back door of the store, or he stayed back there. What if he did stay back there? Oh my god. And they don't know where he is? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, like, like, he never popped up again. Like, it was kind of like a deadly type of thing. That's weird. That's weird. And again... Don't He's sue like, me if I'm getting information wrong. This is like, listen. It's a 30-year-old case. Listen, buddy. This is a 30-year-old case. I also am not currently in college, so my research skills have declined. They've plateaued. They're like heading down a steep hill, okay? The They're more we crop. do this, the better I'm going to get. But I'm just saying right now. And he's a former police officer. Th- yeah, I, I said that. He yeah. knows. You know they know how to cover up a crime scene. They've seen it many times. What? I'm not saying it's I'm, Croft. No, no, no. I'm but just I'm saying. saying Croft is on my number one, number one on my suspect list now. Why? That's crazy. He just went to the bathroom and disappeared. No, Croft. No, he noticed a strange guy. Oh, so oh, no, never mind, never mind. yeah, dump. Yeah, my no, bad. he's he noticed the strange he, a man. former police officer noticed okay. a strange guy, and in his head he was like, "Whoa, yeah. that's weird." And then whenever he left, he was like, "Hey, Eliza." Where'd that guy go? And she was like, oh, just, you know, let him use the bathroom. But me? No, mm-mm. no, I don't care. You can piss yourself on the floor, That's my dude. Saying, you can piss yourself on the floor. Oh, my God. Yeah, and Croft waited, and the guy never came back. What? Oh, man. I bet Croft is... Like, can you imagine? Like, no, not survivor's guilt, but, like, just the guilt that you would have yeah. to be like, Whoa. I didn't Whoa. check that bathroom. You know what I mean? And I'm... Again, I didn't write this down, and, like, maybe I should have. I think I did. Maybe. No. One of the parents came by the yogurt store. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. I can't remember which parent. But, like, one of the girl's parents came by the yogurt store. And was like, hey. And, like, left. Yeah. That's... Oh, God. That is a whole another level of, like, guilt. Damn, we've been at this for 35 minutes already. All right. So detectives sought four boys as suspects. Um, So the reason that they even suspected these four group of boys is because one of them found a gun at a nearby, like, was found with a gun at the nearby mall. Oh, okay. Um, Again, I'm not sure what gun the boy was carrying. I'm pretty sure it was a 22, which coincidentally was the same type of bullets found at the yogurt shop. Oh, that's juicy. Um, 
The boys were released in 1991 whenever the bullets from the gun the boys were carrying did not match the bullets in the yogurt shop. So, like, same type of gun, but it didn't match. Um, in 1998, 1999, eight years after the murders of Jennifer, Sarah, Eliza, and Amy, new investigators were brought onto the case and arrested the four men that were originally held as suspects in the crime in 1991. Their names were Maurice Pierce, 16 at the time, Michael Scott, 17, Robert Springsteen, 16, and Forrest Wellborn, 15 at the time of the murders. Robert Merrill, who interrogated the boys, refused for them to leave until they got the answers they wanted. Springsteen and Scott confessed to the murders of the four girls. Pierce and Wellborn never confessed to the murders and were released. After the confession, police went over the reports and saw that the BUT reports might have had lined up with Scott's details in his, his confession about pouring lighter fluid on the girls and burning them. The DNA evidence that was collected from the girls in 1991 did not match any of the four men that were suspe suspected or arrested for the crime. In 1999, after hours of, inter of interviewing from Robert, Scott said that he probably shot one of the girls and had lit the building on fire. He recalled and stated to the police that Pierce was in the back room with one of the girls and he thought that he gagged and bound the girls with paper towels and or napkins. Scott also stated to the police that the twenty two came from Springsteen and that he knew little else about the weapon and thought that the gun was actually a thirty eight caliber weapon. After Scott's confession, police arrested Springsteen in his home and videotaped him confessing to sexually assaulting and murdering one of the victims. Whoa. So I'm going to show you pictures of the four boys at the time of the murders. So that's Michael Scott, who was 17. That is Robert Springsteen, Forrest Wellborn, and Maurice Pierce. So these two are the ones that got arrested for the crime. And these two are the ones that never confessed and never got arrested. These were the ones that were released. So these are the two boys that we're going to focus on. Two boys slash men. That's crazy. But it's still... Um, it's still unsolved, though, you said. So I guess it, the, fell, it fell through? The boys' confession? Uh, we're going to get into that. It feels so. like the police kind of coaxed them, forced them into... Oh, yeah. buddy. If you think that now... Give me, like, a minute. Um, so only, like I said before, only Scott and Springsteen were charged with the murders of the four girls, and the charges against Wellborn and Pierce were dropped because neither of them confessed. So really, those two fell out for lack of evidence. Because mm -hmm. if you're not going to get a confession, you really can't link them to the crime. Right. There's nothing. This was eight years ago with this time. You yeah, know. So so late. So during the trial... During Scott's trial, he would state that the plan was to rob the yogurt shop that night. Um, I'm going to now quote from Scott during his trial. Um, he says something, but I'm probably just going to like bleep it out, but it's just a derogatory term. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that is just used. Like, it's basically what some people call a vagina. Oh, okay. But it I'm just not going to say it because I don't want us to get, like... Got it. Um, so, Scott says, We were at the North Cross Mall sitting at the round table at the food court. Maurice brought up that he needed to get some money. I don't remember the specifics about what was discussed, but I do know that this is what had 
brought all of this to be. Maurice and Rob talked about robbing a place and they said that this would be the easiest way to get some money. I don't remember exactly what time it was, but it was still daylight. We were all at the table when Maurice said we needed to go look around. I believed that he wanted us to find a place to rob. When we left, Maurice was driving his dad's Ford Gray LDT or LTD. Rob was sitting on the right front seat. I sat behind the driver. Forrest was in the back seat with me. We drove around and looked at businesses around the North Cross area. We drove to the strip mall, and that's where I can't believe its yogurt shop was at. We looked at the businesses that were at the mall. Maurice said something like, let's go inside and take a look at the yogurt shop. Maurice went in and brought in a, a yogurt swirl, chocolate vanilla. I followed Rob inside. I sat down. Rob came over and said something to me, and we got up and made it look like we were going to the restroom. Maurice was up at the counter talking to at least one of the girls. I remember that he was talking to the dark-haired girl. And I'm pretty sure that was Eliza. Yeah because Eliza's the one with the darkest hair. Maurice was supposed to distract them. Rob and I walked out the back and walked around the front of the building. When we got up front, Maurice was already in his car eating his yogurt. We drove back at the mall and sat at the same table. We were just talking, not talking about what was fixing to happen. I walked around the, the mall with Rob. We ran into Maurice again, and we were walking around. Maurice told us that it was time to go. We got back into his car. Maurice was driving. I was in the back seat. Rob and Forrest were in the car with us. We drove around the neighborhood more. I think we were looking for a route to take, and there was talk about how often the cops drove around, and if there was a general route that they drove around in. I know it was dark when we left the North Cross Mall. Most of the businesses we closed... Most of the businesses are closed, so that kind of answers your question okay. that you asked earlier in the beginning. Um, and we got over to the yogurt shop. We drove around across the parking lot and drove through the alley behind the stores. We wanted to see if there were any vehicles parked in the back or if there were any people back there. I believe we even wanted to see if the double back doors were slightly open. So, like, the back door of the yogurt shop. They wanted to see if it was unlocked, if it was open. Um, we drove back through the parking lot and then back to the rear of the store. I remember the building was on the driver's side, the left side of the car. We stopped just past the double doors, no more than 50 feet. Maurice told us that the only thing he had to do was honk the horn if anybody was coming. So basically, Maurice was like, hey, Forrest, if anyone's coming, honk. beep beep. Yeah. Um, Maurice pulled out his gun. I believe that he had it in between the seat. I know Rob had a gun because he looked at it before we went inside to make sure that it was loaded. Maurice, before we went in, told me to make sure that I brought a can of Zippo lighter fluid. It was the bigger metal can. I believe Maurice wanted to use it to cover our tracks. So, so they were going to kill them anyway? I see that's the thing is that. Scott said, hey, you know, the plan was just to rob the store. Yeah. But, like, Scott, no offense, but if your friends are pulling out guns and, and they're sitting plan. in the car and they're checking to see if it's loaded, like, I get it. Some people use guns as scare tactics, but, like, if you're checking to dude, see fire loaded, some blanks. Yeah. Like, uh, You could have went in there with uh, no bullets in it, and I'm sure the money would have been turned over to you. It's a gun. Um, I believe that she was working in the back room when we entered the back. Rob told me to stop her. Oh, wait. Damn, I skipped. I skipped, I'm sorry. We went in the back door. Reese went in first, then Rob, then I followed them. One of the girls said, hey, hey, what are you doing? You don't belong in here. The girl was wearing a t-shirt that had the name, I can't believe it's yogurt on it. I believe she was working in the back room when we entered. Rob told me to stop and stay right there and not let anybody out the back. 
We were all surprised because we were expected to find only two girls inside the store, and the other two girls were up at the front in the dining room area sitting down. I could see the commotion going on up front. I remember Maurice told me to check the front door to make sure it was locked. He told me to check and see if there was anyone out front that could see us. I checked it, and the door was locked. There was a key in the lock. The door was locked. I looked inside to make sure no one was looking in. As I did this, I got more and more scared. I heard the cash register open, and I heard the drawer being lifted and slammed back. I saw Maurice at the cash register, and I saw him put something in his pocket. I thought to myself that he just had money. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All the girls went in the back with Rob. I looked out the front again. I heard Maurice saying something like, Where the F is the rest of the money? I heard the girls crying and one of the girls said, that's all there is. It's already been dropped and you can't get to it. I heard Rob say, come help me with this. I went to the back and he was trying to tie them up. When I went to the back, I saw all four girls were naked. I believe that this is what it was because I don't remember pulling their clothes off. I went to the pile of clothes and I picked up some so I could tie them up. I remember a t-shirt and a bra were used to tie them up. The girls were crying and whimpering. They begged for us not to kill them. They said they didn't want to die. I got a paper towel and I put it inside one of the girls' mouths. I remember that my finger pushed through the towel and I was trying to get some I was trying to stuff it into her mouth. This may or not may not have worked, so I may have used something else. It was like white terry cloth. The girls were on their knees. I don't believe they were standing because I was looking down at them. Rob told me to check the front. I went up front and I remember what sounded like one of the girls trying to scream. Maurice was screaming, saying, Where the F is the rest of the money? I heard a bang, a crack. It sounded like a gun going off. I checked the lock one last time and I turned around to see what had happened. One of the girls was already dead. I think Maurice shot that one. After the shot, Maurice had said, where the F is the rest of the money? And then there was a second shot. I went to the back and I saw Rob. He had one of the dark-haired girls on her hands and her knees and he's raping her. Raping her hard. I told Rob this wasn't right, that that's not what we came here for. He stood up and I don't know if he finished. I didn't see his penis, but he didn't use the word penis. Um, I know that Maurice was not back there with Rob. Maurice had gone into the office and had one of the girls with him. He was squatting down, and I think he was trying to open a safe or something. He told me to do one of the girls. I believe it was the one that he just did. He told me not to be a bleep and told me if I didn't that I was next. We laid the girl on the floor, and I got on top of her, and I tried to do her from the front. I looked at her. I did not want to look at her face. She had a piece of white terry cloth in her mouth, and I looked away because I didn't want to see her. I couldn't get it up because I knew what I was doing was wrong. I sort of faked it to make Rob think I did her. Then I got up and remember either Maurice or Rob telling me to finish her. I remember grabbing the 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 revolver from Maurice. He told me to finish her. The girl was still on the floor and I pointed the gun at her and I tried to shoot it at first but I couldn't. Maurice told me to do it or I would be next. I pointed the gun at the girl and fired once into her head. Which, him saying that, I think that he was trying to shoot Amy. Yeah. Um, I remember Rob pushed me toward Maurice. Maurice was the one in the other room with the other girl. I don't remember seeing a safe. I don't remember if she, what she was doing down on the floor. I remember looking in the doorway and the gun is still in my hand. Maurice asked Rob if I did it and Rob said, yeah, he finished her. Maurice told me, you are in this neck deep already. I saw the side profile of this girl. She had like a white shirt on. I think she had dark hair. Rob was standing right there and he had a small semi-automatic gun. Rob told me not to be a bleep. I think I shot her in the head. I've been not wanting to remember this. I know I have told you something different, but if I did her too, it was because Rob and Maurice were pressuring me. I dropped the revolver. Maurice was mad at me. 
He asked me where the lighter fluid was, and I thought that I left it in the car. He told me to go out and get it. I looked at Forrest, and then I looked at the floorboard and picked up the lighter fluid. Forrest did not say a word. I went back inside. Merle told me to burn the place. I saw the girls lying there, and I pulled one of the girls on top of the other. Rob was watching me as I gathered up napkins, cups, and paper towels and piled them on top of the three girls. I sprayed Zippo fluid on top. I emptied the can. I had a Zippo lighter with me and I lit the fire. I heard a whoosh of the sound of the accelerant and it went when I caught fire. I don't remember what I did with the can. I could have threw it on the pile of stuff in the back of the store. I remember my only thought was to get out. I went outside and remembered Forrest was not in the car anymore. I had taken a knife from inside the shop. I believe I got it off the counter. It was a knife. It was a nice knife. I told you all before that I had taken a set of keys, but it was a knife. I remember now it was a knife. Rob and I were already back in the car when Maurice got there. I asked Maurice where Forrest was. He said he must have took off. I think we were about in there for about 20 to 25 minutes. I'm not sure. We were in the car, and on the way out, we saw Forrest. He was in the parking lot, and we picked him up. I remember driving, but I don't remember the direction we went. We stopped at some bridge. It was about 10 to 15 minutes away from the shop. I got out and threw up over the railing. I took out the knife and threw it over the rail. I made sure it was gone. I remember trees. I don't remember seeing any water. I got to the back of the car. I don't remember what happened next. I remember being back at the apartment. The gun that Maurice had was a black twenty-two caliber rifle, small. I think it had wood grips. The gun that Rob had was a small semi-automatic pistol. It had a clip. I think it was a thirty-eight. and there was some writing on the gun that was scratched off. Rob and I split up from Maurice and Forrest. Rob and I spent some time at the apartment. Wow. So, wow. in May of 2001, the trial for Robert Springsteen would take place. Springsteen would state that his confession, which was a large part of evidence that was used against him and Scott, was false and given under coercion. In 2002, Scott would also be stated to say that his confession was given to the police false and given under coercion. Scott stated that during the police questioning by Robert Merle, Merle had put a gun to his head in order to get answers about the murder. Whoa. Springsteen was found guilty and was sentenced to death. The sentence would later be reduced to life in prison because the Supreme Court ruled that minors could not be sentenced to death. Scott was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison after the jury could not make a unanimous, unanimous decision about the death penalty. As the cases were being prepared for retrial, the defense lawyers requested that DNA tests be performed on evidence against the case. The prosecution agreed because DNA testing had been more discriminating in the exact 17 years since the crime had occurred. The test revealed that the DNA profile of a man was taken from two of the victims, Amy and Jennifer. The DNA of another man was found on the clothing used to bind the wrist of Eliza, and partial and a partial DNA profile was found from a third person was also found on Jennifer. None of the DNA profiles matched Scott Pierce, Springsteen, or Wellborn. Scott and Springsteen were released on bond on June 24. 2009. In October 28, 2009, the prosecution dismissed the charges against them. So, basically, they were like, hey, uh, you guys aren't going to be linked yeah. to this anymore. It's crazy. Sorry. LOL. Um, Pierce was pulled over in 2010 by Officer Frank Wilson and his partner. Pierce, who had a big fear of cops at the time, obviously, because if you're Dealing with going through this stuff years. for about at least a decade. Yeah. Don't blame you. Um, he started to run off. 
Uh, Pierce pulled out a knife and stabbed Officer Wilson in the neck. And Officer Wilson shot Pierce to death. And I couldn't find any indication on what had happened to Forrest. So here are some facts that were against the State versus Scott case, which kind of make me think that everything was given under false coercion. Uh Now we're not doing that bad. Um, The forensic pathologist testified that Amy had a lip contusion that was consistent with sustaining a blow or a fall. At one point, while describing one of the girls... Telling Pierce that the money had already been dropped, the appealing obviously, visualizing again, asserted, I hear somebody get slapped. He could not remember who did the slapping or who got slapped, but in the context which he purports to remember, it suggested that it was Pierce slapping Eliza or Jennifer, one of the employees, rather than Amy. Later, he told the detectives that Springsteen had slapped one of the girls who had spun around at the beginning of the offense. He did not remember which girl, but described that she was wearing a uniform. It was unlikely it would have been Amy. Still later, he revised his story to say that it had happened toward the end of the incident. When they revisited the slapping incident one more time, with photographs of all the girls displayed, the appellant manifested confusion as to which girl had been slapped. On the second day of the interrogation, once again, he inserted the incident happened rather early than late, and that Pierce rather than Springsteen had done the slapping. Um, at times, he seemed, in, he seemed to have doubt whether it happened at all. He left this out of his written statement. Oh. Um, and again, these facts, you can take them with what you will, whether you're going to use it as evidence that they did do it, that they didn't do it. Um, Scott knew all the weapons that were used. Again, even if the bullets didn't match. It's kind of eerie that the guns that they had were also the guns that were used to shoot the girls execution style. Um, He knew that Amy was alive after he shot her, and he knew the number of shots that were fired. That's weird. Because remember, he was the one that supposedly shot a girl, but didn't want to do it, and looked away while he was doing it. Mm -hmm. So he could have been the one that shot Amy first, that the gunshot didn't kill her, and then... They were leaving, and then one of the girls was like, or one of the guys was like, hey, you effed up, yeah. and then shot her again. Um, it was the detectives who first suggested that one of the girls was shot twice. Only after this suggestion did Scott remember that Springsteen shot one of the girls a second time. Mm-hmm. It would have been difficult at that point for him to calculate, but he must have heard a total of five shots. It must also be added that the appealant's list, that the appealant inserted that the two girls have been tied with articles of their own clothing, but at first the appealant was at a complete loss to tell the detectives what the girls had been tied with. His most persistent assertion was that it had been an electrical curl cord, and basically only after the detectives told him what the girls were wearing did he insert that they had been stripped naked and bound with their own clothing. So basically the facts that the prosecution is inserting at the end of these cases is like, hey, this is kind of weird that he was so insistent that it was an electrical cord and then only after the detectives were like, hmm, well, this is weird. Well, this is weird. Did he be like, oh, yeah, it's actually this. It reminds me kind of a lot of the false confessions that were stated in the West Memphis 3 case. It's kind of like only after detectives... Like, began throwing out these ideas. Did the guys attach themselves to it? Like, investigators also never found a can of Zippo lighter. 
really. Mm. Yeah. He also claimed that one of the girls at the time in the murder still had their shirt on. They were all found completely nude. That's weird. Which I, you know, they could have taken them off after. Like, going by what the police thought in 1999, there were four guys at the time of this incident. Yeah. Well, technically only three because four is... Well, yeah, only four was in the car, but like three, so. This is weird. So, he claims that he shot one of the girls in the temple... But none of the girls were shot in these places. Like, he said that he shot her in the temple or the face. Yeah. And none of the girls were shot there. They were shot in the back of the head. head. Execution style. So that's weird. Um, also, he never mentioned the metal scoop that was found in, like... Really? Mm-hmm. Never mentioned that. Um, and then... Again... I'm going to take this next thing with a grain of salt. Um, In the present case, so this is kind of where the police, I feel like, are trying to be like, oh shit, let's cover our tracks. So in the present case, the appealant was not accompanied on restroom breaks and was often left alone on cigarette breaks as well. Officers gave him food and drink and they permitted him to call his wife upon request. He was allowed to take breaks when he wished, and he was assured more than once during the interview that he was not under arrest and could leave any time he wanted. Indeed, when he was asked by a new officer taking over the investigation whether he was under arrest, Scott replied, As far as I know, I'm not. The appealant was allowed to go home that evening, and he returned to police headquarters the next day on his own volition. Later that day, the appealant reaffirmed his voluntariness as a present at the station. So the officer is like, let me ask you this. Is anybody hurting us? Any of you? Any of us hurting you? Not physically. Have we done anything to make you do something you don't want to do? No. Have we forced you to stay here? No. I'm here of my own free will. And you know you're free to leave anytime you want. Anytime. And when you go out to smoke half the time, no one's out there with you. You go to the bathroom by yourself, right? Yeah. You know you're not under arrest. I'm not. And you don't want us to feel, I mean, you come and go. I walked up to the front gate and waited on you all. Come on, guys. So if the appealant believed the police were trying to pressure him and pressure him into a false confession, he could have just walked out. So what do you think? Oh. What do you think? After me splurging that, all that information on you in the past, like, 20 minutes. I don't know, because there's some, well, also... Okay, there's a lot of just holes in their stories and the way that the murders went down. But also, I know very traumatic things can cause memory loss. So I understand why he's like, I don't know, it could have happened, it could have not. Plus it's ten years later, or eight years later. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm just like, what? This is... If they truly didn't do it, what a coincidence. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Like, what? That's what I'm saying. How could they not have done that? It's like some, like, I can I can believe because, like, also an attack me. Shut this, like, shut this podcast down during the first episode. I'm going to say it now. The justice system is corrupt. 
somewhat. Yes. It needs to be oh, reformed. Yes. So I'm not going to be like, no, the police have never done that. They've never bullied right. people into false confessions. They very well could have, but I think it is weird that some of the stuff that they're saying actually connects with it. Yeah. I... Let me ask you this. Do you think... First of all, where are the cameras? But I guess it is the 90s. Well, it's 1991, and you have to think... Half the places that I've worked at haven't had security cameras. Uh, I'm not saying this. Say this. Hot Topic doesn't have security cameras. The coffee shop that I had didn't have security cameras. My boss... The last year that I worked there ended up installing one, but it was just because she saw, she was kind of ditzy. She just saw something on the news about how, like, one one employee at a business had got shot, and she didn't want that to happen to us. But, like, yeah, before that happened, before she got scared because of the news, no security cameras. So, to me, it's not that far-fetched because I've worked in places without security cameras before. And that stuff could have easily happened and they wouldn't have known what would have happened to me. That it's just crazy to me that they They went to go just rob it, but they ended up killing them. Well, also, I forgot to say this because I think I was in the middle of editing this and I just stopped and never came back to it. Um about $542 was missing from the store. Oh. But it's weird, right? Because they said that they weren't able to take any money. And the girls were saying that the money had already been dropped. Well, they did get in the safe somehow. Did they, though? Yeah, because, well, he said he at least it got was still the locked. room with the girl. It was, was still locked. Down. Oh. Sorry, I think I skipped over that part. Yeah, the office door was still locked. They never got inside. But I thought he said he did when he was recounting the night. He said that he could see, I think, Maurice. I think that they were trying to yeah. see. Um, yeah, they definitely tried to get into the safe. I think so it crazy. says it. I think it says it in here that. So, like. Why is his story so inconsistent with what actually happened? Well, I mean, it would make sense with the false confession. Yeah, but... Okay, maybe it wasn't locked. I thought that it was. I don't know. Oh, people are going to attack me because so I don't know. So how did they know. even find the boys anyway? They just saw them? or like... No, no, remember they were... They had a gun at the mall. But so they... So, so they, they arrested caught them. At the mall. They arrested them because they were like... Oh, they have a gun at the mall. And they were like, oh my god, this is so weird. Like, there were murders with a gun not too far from the store at the mall. And they arrested them, and they were like, whoa, we don't have enough evidence. Yeah. Release them. That makes a little bit more sense. I was curious as to how they even found them. Okay, see, no, the appealant claims that Pierce had taken one of the girls into the office, but it was uncontested that the office remained locked for the duration of the defense. Oh, So the office was locked. So I think that when he was telling his story and he was like, yeah, one of the guys had one of the girls on the floor, but I don't know what they were doing. I think that he was trying to get Eliza or Jennifer or maybe he, one of the girls. Yeah. Okay. But I think he was trying to have them grab the envelope for the keys. Yeah. 
I think that's what they were doing. But how was... That's the thing that's weird to me is how did that money go missing? You want to know what I think? What? Tell me. I think that mystery guy in the military faded jacket, I think that he hid back there. I think that he took the money. I think that he either took the money and left, and that's why $542 were missing. Uh-huh. I don't want to say I think that he committed the crimes because I think me being a true crime nerd if that's the right true crime junkie junkie um <laughs> it would be very hard to subdue four girls being one person even if you had a gun i feel like it would be very hard to do so i don't want to go down the theory of yeah i think the strange mystery man in the jacket uh did all of Kept it them, because right? i don't necessarily believe that but i think that it would make sense if he took the money because i don't think the girls would have known no. Would they? Well, is the Would safe you, locked if all they, the time? Or was it... I don't know. See, usually safes are. But I'm saying, if he took the money, and then the girls, when the three guys came in, they were like, no, the money's already been dropped. Like, if that guy came in and took it, uh-huh. like, it would make sense as to why the money's missing, and then why the girls were so insistent. Because if they thought that the money was in the safe, and the door was locked and stuff... They thought the money was in the safe. They weren't lying. They weren't making false death confessions. Like, they knew they were going to die. You're going to tell the truth about anything if somebody has a gun to your face. Like, you know what I mean? I think it's weird. I think that the military guy that went into the back that only bought a soda and used the restroom that Dean Croft saw. Yeah. Or Daryl Croft saw. I think that he had some part in it. I don't think that he had all to do with it. I don't think that... You know what I mean? That's so I think weird. that he played some part in it. Yeah. And I think, in my mind, that he stole the money, and that's why the money was missing. Because if Scott and Pierce, if they shot the girls because the robber... Like, you know, if they shot the girls, supposedly by their own confessions, that the robbery had gone wrong, they weren't getting any money, like, might as well have some fun with it, you right. know? Like, it wouldn't make sense about them lying to have the money because if they got the money good robbery good robbery successful mission complete and they would have left and they wouldn't have harmed the girls in the first place or would they have i don't know then he didn't describe they hey hey also i just want to make this clear they have no connection to the crime whatsoever okay they've been cleared yeah they're not arrested for this anymore pierce unfortunately died in 2010 springsteen and scott they have no connection with this they went on bond. They're they're done. So I'm not saying that they did this. I'm just saying, in a hypothetical universe, it's very like odd. it doesn't make sense. This case, this case is doesn't make sense. Has a lot of plot holes, like too many. Like first of all, we have that mystery guy went to the bathroom, just disappeared, and now we have the four boys that their story does not add up. Like. I want to know Forrest. I want to know his point of view. Because I I really couldn't find anything. Wow. He just... Like, it was very hard for me to find information on Forrest. I don't, I, I don't think he wanted bet, to be connected uh, with it. I bet he's in witness protection. That's what... And that's what I was thinking. Because, like, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be connected no. with it. As soon as I got released in 1991, and then I found out that two of my old buddies uh, in 1998, eight years later... Yeah. Or I'm, 1999, and eight years later... Uh, yeah, no, I would dip. I'd create a new identity. Yeah. I would Jason Bourne that shit. Okay? Oh I'd be God, like, no, no, Jason thank Bourne. you. 
I'd be like, no, thank you. Yeah, no. I I feel bad for Scott, Michael Scott. Yeah. Like, oh. Well, and I'm going to say this. I'm not really going to give any detail on it, but I've been in a trial, and it's very easy for them to make you question things. Because the defense attorneys, or prosecution in this point, prosecution that work for the state, it's very easy to feel bullied on the stand because you you have to. You have to answer questions. Yeah. And it's like more severe than what it's portrayed in. They try to like TV and movie shows. They'll try to... They'll they'll twist your own words. Yeah, they will. Like you feel... It's essentially gaslighting in a legal setting. Like, you feel like you're going insane. Yeah. Like, and that's just what I experienced. So I can't imagine if I was on trial for the murder of four girls whenever I was in my teens. Like, I, I, I can't imagine the mental toll yeah. that that would take on Sexual you. Sexual assault, murder, and arson. Like, all in one at 17, 15. That's crazy. Wow. This is a interesting case. And it's still unsolved. The only update is um, the FBI, and again, I'm sorry, I didn't look really much into this because it was hard for me to understand. Sue uh-huh. me. I'm stupid. Don't sue me. Don't take that. Literally. I was making a joke. We're not financially ready to be sued yet. I, I don't. I just have, I barely have enough money to pay my bills. Don't listen to me. <laughs> no. Um, there was something about the FBI and the DNA in this case that was updated recently in about 2020 i'll look it up really quick Um, i mean you would think that they would take all old cases forgive me typing very loudly all old old cases where the dna like evidence is not able to be tested correctly and reopen them just try again we have better technology Um, so it says FBI could hold the key to the notorious Texas case, but the info isn't being released. Um, at issue is a single strand of DNA collected from the victim in the brutal 1991 slaying of four teenage girls. Not the complete sample, but the DNA can't identify a single suspect that could point to a person's male lineage. So, if I'm correct on what that means is that basically they can't match the DNA to anyone, but they can maybe match the DNA to the person's relatives. Oh, okay. Um, it says Austin police in 2017 matched a sample to one FBI uploaded into the public research database. This began a years long battle pitting Austin investigators and their desire to close the, close the decades long case against the FBI. And it's, concern about unconstitutional overreach wow um it says some law enforcement's argue that using partial dna could help them identify suspects in hard to solve cases but skeptics argue that the practice is fairly unfairly cast apparitions on a large group of family members who are unlikely and involved in a crime so you're possibly your family member committed a crime get over it you know what i mean that's not unjust in my opinion. Well, it's, it's, I, I kind of understand what they're saying because it's kind of like, okay, um, do you know how the Golden State Killer was caught? Mm-mm. The Golden State Killer was caught because 
a family member of his or I think he uploaded his DNA into like I again I don't know like ancestry.com or a website like that and that's how they caught him and I think that that kind of scares some conspiracy theorist about like oh I don't want the government to get my stuff you know because like like I to me I understand it in a way but like I also don't is because you know yeah like what do you mean you don't want the government to have your DNA because it, it says, for its part, the FBI can share its DNA in automatized format was as the case for the university database, but federal law prohibits such samples to be traced for, to individuals. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. So that's what it is. That federal law prohi- prohibits such samples to be traced to individuals. Oh. That's interesting. This is a crazy case. So basically, yeah, so now federal, two Austin police, federal law, and the FBI are blocking finding the killer. Wow. This is... So that's it. That is the Austin Yogurt Chop Murders of 1991. Um, again, my research sucks. I'm so sorry. I'm a terrible person. I will get better with time. Your research is good. It was very thorough. I'm... This is bizarro to me. I think the mystery man has... You're gonna have to do this once a week for, like, the rest of our lives. I hope you know that. You're gonna get this on for a loop every week. I... Oh my god. I think the mystery man had something to do with it. I'm telling you, I think it's weird. Okay? He just disappeared. Like, you're gonna tell me that this man... This... You're telling me that this man wanted to use the employee bathroom, and then nobody saw him again. Stood there. Let other people get in front of him. Only to get a soda, and then said, "Hey, I gotta take a leak. Can I use your bathroom?" And just being the nice girls they are, yeah, sir, you can use the bathroom. Never returned. Do they go and check? Is that ever confirmed? I don't know. Like, well, we don't know if we don't. They're dead. Oh. Yeah, I know. They're dead. That's they crazy can't to tell me. us. And they shouldn't have How been dead. That's that? that's the thing. I don't know. I want to say at about eight or nine, from what I read. We're on a limited time crutch. I can't, like... Oh. Like, we're fine. I'm just saying I can't go back right. and double-check every thing. But I promise, guys, I'll get better. Like... But I'm telling you, man... This is an interesting one. And hopefully, federal laws will be, like, uplifted, or maybe yeah. the Austin police will, like... Give them You know, special... let them have yeah. it. Like, I, again, I don't know. Um... This definitely but needs to be solved. That's the only case. Like that like that's the only update in this case is that in 2020 in about January they are basically Austin police versus FBI wow. to try and get this solved. We need some information. But I mean, if it's been 30 years, some closure. I mean, that they f- probably feel like they've gotten away with it. Whoever did yeah. it, because think about or it, they're they're, they they think about it, or they're dead. Like they've been living their life for the past thirty years. Like yeah. if they're still alive, or they're just dead and they don't care, and we'll never know. Karma's gonna catch up to them. That's all that matters. What goes around comes around. Hopefully, for this one. This case has like really put me in a spot. 
I'm just like, what? What do you mean? It's so mysterious. There's no true answer to anything. Not even the the four boys trial. Or the two. Well, I, yeah, well, I mean, like... I mean, there's inconsistencies still, like, but it matches. It's still, like, they still could have possibly done that. True, but if the police knew all that information, that's how false confessions work. They could have just that's fed true. that to them. So, like, that's maybe why we believe that it's yeah. co- so eerily consistent somewhat. That's very true. Plus, they were children. Yeah. And they're impressionable. I don't know if their parents were there, actually. Yeah, because they said they went back to an apartment. No, I'm talking about in the police investigations. Oh, I don't okay, think okay. that their police, like other parents, were there. Because I forgot whenever, I f- I forget whenever that was passed. But there was a law that is passed that says that juveniles have to be like they have to have their parents there or they have to have legal assistance there. Oh, okay. But they can't be interviewed without. And I don't know if that happened before or after, or maybe the parents were just like, I don't care. You know, you can yeah. interview my kid. Whatever. But like, apparently, like I don't know if you remember this, but like. Dude, if a police officer held a gun to my head in my interrogation, I'd say whatever the F he wanted me to say. Shoot me. No, shoot what? me. Oh my... If, if that man okay, I'm shoots saying... you in the interrogation room... They're not thinking I mean? about that, though. They're thinking, holy crap, this police officer that's, that's an adult that's supposed to help me is holding a gun to my head, and he wants to hear... What- if a cop... If I... I'm just saying, I, really I shoot don't... those boys, and a cop with the held a gun to my head and was like, I want the truth... I'd be like, dude, I am telling you the truth. If you're going to shoot me. But you have to think about it. They were 15 to 17 years, which is a very impressionable age. Yeah, 15-year-old me would have been like, uh. Exactly. Yeah, very true. I would have shit myself. I'm I'm not going to lie. 14-year-old, like 15-year-old me. Especially if you were already doing like shady shit, maybe not killing people and starting fires. But like they had a gun, so obviously... I mean, yeah, yeah, and you know, like, it, like it, it's kind of like, it, like, they, they were talking about robbing a place, so they probably thought yeah. when they got pulled into this, oh my god, like, can we get arrested for, like, talking in public yeah. about robbing a place? And you know, I, and again, that, I probably, would piss myself yeah. if a cop held a gun to my head, or if I even got pulled in to an interrogation, like, interrogation room, I would be like, I'm a pe- I'd piss myself. Do you think they really did go to the yogurt shop? And then just left and never came back. And then they were like, yeah, we did it. Cops. Like, they went to go check it out to, like, case the place. Oh, and then, and then they came. And yeah, they and like, then the police no. were like, "Yeah, you did this. And they were like, you were there. Yeah, and it's like, oh, shit, did we do it? You know what I mean? Dang. So many theories with this one. Yeah, that I, I don't know. Like, I don't, as sad as it is to say, I don't think we'll ever know what happened no. really. Not for a while which is awful wow um also so we don't get sued because i have a major fear of copyright resources i am creating a master google doc to list all my sources so if i didn't credit you directly i am crediting you yeah um i again i'm gonna read our email out so if you guys want the source doc you can email me and i will send it to you in all lowercase, it is the Killers Podcast, MP at gmail.com, no spaces, no anything. That's it. Please don't suit me. I don't have the money. Um, that's it. I have a kid. Don't do it. We don't need to be sued. I'm not ready yet. We work at a Walmart, guys. When we get to that level, I will outwardly attack people. No! <laughs> Sue me. I dare you. No, she's kidding. You can't say that. 
kidding for now until I get the money. <laughs> and also, I usually don't sound like this. We live in Oklahoma. Oh, um, we can't preface. And I have also, really bad allergies. We are recording at my apartment, and I have two cats that I love very much, but Mikhail is allergic. Yeah. So, it's yep. also partially my fault. It'll be all right. Okay, you want to do the outro? Yeah. Figure out an outro to do. All right. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you um, for listening. We will be back next week, correct? Yep. Yep. I don't know. I... You have commitment issues. You're acting like I'm the one that has commitment issues. <laughs> anyway, we will be back next week with a new case. Um, and also, I don't know the details of the cases, so it's... These are all genuine reactions. Like, I'm reading, of course, while yeah. Peyton's reading, but I'm still shocked. It's yeah, all... trying to read ahead. I know. I'm going to just, I'm going to set my lap up on my lap next time. <laughs> I'm going to just stop stare at you. Yeah, I'm going to have it like this. Yeah. I have a little lap desk now. <laughs> I bought that at book, I bought, I bought it at Barnes & Noble. Ooh. It has slaws on it. Slaws? You want to see it? Yeah, I do want to see. It. It's supposed to be Meg's, but yeah, look. Yeah. Is, so next time. Cup. Oh yeah, goodness. I have a cup holders so next time we get Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna have to, I'll have to catch myself from yeah. reading ahead. Yeah. Well, that's it. We'll be back next week. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I hope it wasn't terrible. too gruesome, too terrible for everyone. Um, signing off now. <laughs>